Good morning to everyone who's watching via video. My name is Mike. I'm on staff here at the church, and I'll be sharing the Word of God with you in a moment. Uh, before we go any further in our service, uh, I would like to ask that you would join me in prayer. <clears throat> Lord, right now, before we even get into Romans 10, I would like to pray for what is happening in Ukraine. As I hear the news reports and see terrifying images of death and destruction, my heart is grieved. This is an outworking of a sinful world, the failure to love our neighbor as ourselves on a grand scale. May you draw ever so close to your people who are currently suffering and scared for what the future holds. Turn your face to them, please. May peace prevail in the midst of a most desperate situation. For your glory and the good of your people. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Romans chapter 10. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to take that out. When you are there, I ask that you please stand. We're picking up basically where we left off last week. Uh, your worship folder will say Romans 10, 14 through 21. I just want to grab verse 13, kind of helps uh, set the table for uh, hopefully what the Lord has for us today. So we read from the ESV here, the Word of God says this, Romans 10, beginning in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Let's pray again. Lord God Almighty, I am but dust. If I stand here and seek to speak in my own power, at best, this will be a nice little speech. But if you are to move in the hearts of your people, I cannot do that. So I humbly ask that you would move in my heart, move in 
the hearts of all that are gathered here and those who may be watching today via live stream or watching this video later on. Lord, speak to your people, and I ask that you would use me to do it. Amen. You may be seated. Well, last year, I was uh, out there on the internet, tooling around, looking at various news stories, and I came across one from a uh, Christian news outlet. Christian website had this story. Uh, The date was August 15th, 2021, the town Toledo, Ohio. The article was all about a particular woman, and To protect her identity, they simply referred to her as Susan. Susan worked outside the home. Uh, She she was an office administrator for a rather large corporation, and she had been with them for more than 15 years. And the article goes on to quote Susan. Here's what she says. During my 15 years of employment here, I've gotten to know lots of people. Take Joe, for example. He's always talking about his marriage troubles. And Kathy, well, Kathy is a single mom who talks about how hard it is to raise three little kids on her own. Then there's Bob. Bob talks about the various vices in his life that have plagued him for years, like his drinking and drug use. Susan goes on, These people tell me everything. And because I'm a Christian woman... It simply amazes me that not one of them has asked me about my faith in Jesus. No one has yet to ask me about the hope that I have in Christ. I mean, it's going to be any day now that they'll start asking me about him, right? Susan was making her case. She said, everyone in the office knows I'm the friendliest worker. I smile at people as I pass them in the hallways. I even hold doors open for people. And I, I, I even have a good attitude on conference calls. I just don't understand why they don't ask me about Jesus. I mean, don't they see my cross necklace? I'm always careful to wear it on the outside of my sweater, not the inside. I mean, really, how much more in your face can I get? And I know they've seen my Jesus Fish bumper sticker on my car in the parking lot. I mean, do I really have to go out and get the Jesus Fish eating the Darwin Fish sticker? Because I will if I have to. The article goes on to say, Susan even employs an, an interesting evangelistic tactic. When a coworker sneezes, Susan says, God bless you. She does this in hopes that one day a coworker will ask, Hey, Sue, I noticed that you say God in front of bless you, while other people who work here just say bless you. Is there a reason for that? But sadly, that hasn't happened yet. The article concluded with Susan adding these final words as she said them with a sigh. I guess all I can do is keep waiting and pray. Now, in case you didn't catch on, that is what's known as satire. That's fake news. 
That is not a real news story. I was glad to hear some chuckling because you were supposed to laugh a little. Uh, it, I didn't do better last night either, and I'm not looking forward to 11 a.m. <laughs> it's, it's an adaptation of an article from a Christian ministry satire. They write satire called Babylon Bee. I added uh, a lot of my own stuff uh, because I secretly want a side hustle writing for the Babylon Bee. Uh, so I tried to add some funny things in, but evidently uh, unsuccessful. Uh, so, but humor and satire, and, and, and even in the midst of what I prayed about Ukraine and everything going on in our world and all the struggles that we have, th there's a truth in this, that humor and satire have a unique way of getting a point across. I, I like what G.K. Chesterton said. He said, humor can get in under the door while seriousness is still fumbling at the handle. So the point of that news story is, if you caught it, is that Christians, many of them, tend to think that we can communicate the truths of the gospel, that we can evangelize through our actions by simply being kind or wearing a cross necklace in a prominent manner, that that will communicate the truths of the gospel. There's a, a very popular saying uh, out there. Uh, in my informal polling this week, about half the people I talked to heard of this, and about the ha half haven't. So I imagine that's the case here today. But this is a saying that was attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Now, based upon the preponderance of evidence out there, I don't think he said this, okay? He, he got tagged with it at some point in the past, and it just stuck. Uh, but I don't think he said it. But what's important is not who said it, but let's look at the merit of the phrase. And the phrase is this, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Now, immediately, you might be inclined to say, yeah, you know, that, that, that sounds right. That's, that sounds like a true and trustworthy saying. I mean, our lives should, should demonstrate to a watching world the implications of the gospel, somehow, some way. If we've been transformed by the power and work of Jesus, that should manifest in our lives and be evident to those around us. As William Tom said, be careful how you live. You may be the only Bible some people will ever read. Now, that is true. If we're new creations in Christ, we ought to act accordingly. Hypocrisy is a grievous sin, no question. So there needs to be a consistency where our outward actions reflect the inward change that God has manifest in our lives. And this really resonates with us. I know that because there's a lot of phrases out there that convey this. You've heard these. Actions speak louder than words. Talk is cheap. Practice what you preach. Walk the talk. And lastly, what you are doing is speaking so loudly, I can hardly hear what you're saying. And I think there's great value in those sayings. And I assume you do too. Years ago, I delivered a message on evangelism. And I received a, a rather scathing email afterwards. Very critical of me. And uh, this person was uh, not happy they said that I made them feel bad for them not verbally sharing the gospel. 
And so I don't delete emails. I keep all my emails. I have 65,000 emails in my inbox. That is not an exaggeration. I keep waiting for Bob Sadock to come to me, our computer guy, like, Mike, you got to delete some of these. Uh, you're killing the server. I keep them all. And I went back, and I did, it was brought to mind this week. You tend to remember those emails. Like, isn't it true, like, 10 people can compliment you, one person says something negative, what do you focus on? That, you know. So I went back, I got the email. Uh, let me read to you the most relevant portion, and I'm going to read it to you verbatim. This is exactly what the person said. And so think with me here. Evaluate this. 100% of reaching unsafe people is through love, compassion, mercy, grace, and acceptance. Not preaching and quoting scripture. So I, I responded, hopefully in a loving manner. But the conversation died after that. That was it. There was no further reply, no dialogue. But I would like to ask you, is that true? Is that how the gospel is conveyed? Is that how we reach unsaved people? By simply loving them. By being compassionate. By acts of mercy and grace. Now, I thought about it in the phrase there, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. It didn't come up in her email, but I imagine at first glance I thought she would probably agree with that wholeheartedly. But then I had to reevaluate. And I thought, no, she would reject that. You know why? Because she was claiming words aren't even necessary. Remember, 100% of reaching people is through love, compassion, mercy, grace, and acceptance, not preaching and quoting Scripture. So she wouldn't like that phrase for a completely different reason. So what I would like to do here today is I would like to uh, explore that notion, and, and I want to show through Scripture, through logic, and through reason that that phrase, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words, is not a great one. At best, it's woefully incomplete. And I hope to flesh that out. So I have, I have one point here today. This is a one-point sermon. I don't know how many points you're supposed to have in a sermon. Never went to seminary. You get one today. All right? It's going to be easy. If this comes through, if the Lord gets this through, I'm a happy guy. All right? The main idea today is this. The gospel isn't something we show it's something we speak. In other words, the gospel isn't a demonstration, it's a declaration. All right? I couldn't decide which one I like better, so you get both. Okay? So I've taken the phrase, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words, and I flipped it. Here's the remix. Preach the gospel at all times using words. They're necessary. Let's zoom into Romans 10. Look at verses 14 through 17. Paul writes, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
Now, you've probably heard those verses preached before. And often what will happen is there will be someone like me who will stand up and use those verses that I quoted there, 14 through 17, and they will focus on the command to evangelize, that this is a call for us to, to be engaged in evangelism, to, to proclaim the good news about Jesus. Or some missions people, missionaries, will, will kind of lift these out of Romans 10 and say, this is the charter passage right here for missions. And not that that's a bad thing. I don't think that's a bad thing because th that's true, right? And that's sort of what we're going to do here today. But what I would like to point out to you is we, we must not neglect the context here of where these verses sit in Romans 10, right? Nine, chapters 9, 10, and 11, all about Israel, the Jews. They've rejected the message. They're responsible for, for that rejection. And we've been kind of laboring that same point here, and, and this is going to continue on into chapter 11. But what Paul is saying here, those things there, that chain, the, the logical chain that he, that he gives us, all those rhetorical questions, he's saying that has already happened for the Jews. He says that in verse 18. So the point is, the gospel message has gone forth. So it is a command to go and tell, but his point here is, it has gone forth and they've rejected it. And they're responsible for that unbelief. That's verse 18, where Paul quotes Psalm 19, saying they've heard it. Verse 19, Paul cites Deuteronomy 32, saying they've understood it. And then verse 20, where Paul again, once again, goes back to the Old Testament, Isaiah 65, saying the Jewish people are even more accountable now based upon the fact that Gentiles have come in. They've received the message by faith. And yet, all of this, in verse 21, God stands all day long with outstretched arms awaiting his people, the Jews, to return to him. The kindness of our God extending his arms to them, despite them being a disobedient and contrary bunch. And again, this diatribe is going to continue on into chapter 11. But I said the main point for us here today is that the gospel isn't something we show, it's something we speak. So, I would like to show you that. And you know how I'm going to show you? Not through miming it, okay? I will not do this business, okay? Nor through interpretive dance, all right? If you think my miming is bad, you don't want to see my interpretive dancing, all right? There'll be no plies and releves up in here today. I'm going to use words. Words of scripture, words of logic, and words of reason. Let's start with the word of God. I'm going to take us to five places. We're going to go on a whirlwind tour of the New Testament. Five places, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts. Feel free to turn there if you want, but I'm going to have them on the screen. You've got to quote Matthew 28, right? The Great Commission. Jesus is risen from the dead. He's about to ascend into heaven. These are his final words. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, I don't know how you baptize someone in the name of somebody without saying who that somebody is. You gotta speak it, the name. Teaching without speaking, 
Very difficult. And how can they observe commandments if they don't know what those commandments are? We must communicate them. We must tell them. Jump to Mark chapter 16. Jesus again, he said to them, Go into all the world. And proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. The gospel is a proclamation. It's verbal. It goes out. It's, de- it's a declaration, an announcement. That's what it means to proclaim. Luke 24, verses 47 and 48. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should, I like that, should be proclaimed, there's, there it is again, in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. No lawyer will put a person on the witness stand who witnessed a murder if that person doesn't speak. They're not going to put them on the stand. I mean, what are they going to do? Just point to the defendant? He stabbed him. Like, wait, no, you must speak. You saw something, you heard something. If you don't say it, you're a bad witness. You are a silent witness is a bad witness. John chapter 4, we know the story here, the woman at the well, right? She, she leaves her water jar there. She's met Jesus. She leaves the water jar. She went into, away into the town. What'd she do? She said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. If you drop down to verse 39, let's see what happened. She goes back, talks to the Samaritans. Many, don't miss that, many Samaritans from that town believed in him. Why? Because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. If you're in Christ, you got a testimony. Don't say you have a boring testimony. It's not true. You're raised in the church. You're... Your, your godly mom and dad teach you the Bible. You get saved at the age of four. That is a glorious testimony. You don't have to run amok through the streets, do time in jail, rob banks, and sell drugs, okay? I know we love to exalt those testimonies. Everybody's got a testimony. Call it a story. Say to people, man, can I tell you my story? Who, who's going to shut that down? You know, I just, this is just what happened to me. I, I, I don't know. we got to be careful because sometimes you can talk about a testimony and it just merely be a, a that. And people will just kind of give you a pat on the back and say, well, good for you. I'm glad you found something that gives you meaning in life. But the gospel includes them. So we always got to be careful to not just simply tell our story because the gospel, the truths of the gospel involve them as well. So, but you got a story. Share it, just like the woman did. It's not hard. Acts chapter 2, the final verse here I want to look at. Acts 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. And then what happened on the other side of this blazing sermon he delivers? So those who received his word, that's Peter's, were baptized. There's the fruit. They get baptized, and what happened? 3,000 people came to Christ. He stood up, and he just, men of Judea, and he spoke to the people. And look at the fruit that it yielded. 
And that was a blazing sermon, too. I mean, that's talk about scathing. If you've read through Acts chapter 2, this Jesus whom you crucified, he came hard. He came hard. But look how God blessed the preaching of his word. So what is the gospel? What is the gospel? It's news. But it's not just any old news. And it's certainly not bad news. It means good news. And just like any other news story, it must be communicated. So if you're going to leave here today, you're going to go home tonight, you're going to turn on your news channel of, of choice, and you want to find out the latest of what's going on in, in Ukraine, if you got the volume down and closed captionings aren't turned on, unless you're a really good lip reader, you're not going to know what's going on. You got to hear the words. News comes by hearing and hearing by the news anchor. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And this is how God does it. This is a, this is a reflection of our God. Aren't you glad we serve a communicative God? Our God communicates with us. He doesn't have to. He, he could just let us grope all day long as to who he is and what he wants from us. That's not very kind. And then everybody would have all sorts of opinions about who God is and you know, what he wants. And that does describe our world. Why is that? They've rejected the revealed will of God. What he, ha he has communicated already. He would speak from the heavens to the people. He would speak through prophets. He'd say, I appoint you. You're a prophet. That means go take the message to the people. And again, a silent prophet is no prophet at all. Let me borrow uh, the very method Paul used in Romans 10. He, he does this all the time. He asks uh, uh, like a series of rhetorical questions. A rhetorical question is like a question that the answer is assumed. You, know, you, don't, it doesn't, you don't really have to answer because it kind of makes the point for you, just the question in and of itself. Here's my questions. How would we know the righteous requirements of the law if we weren't told? How would we know the just penalty for violation of said law if we weren't told? How would we know the plan of the Father to send his Son into this world to live a perfect life, to die a sacrificial death, and to three days later rise from the grave? How would we know that if that was not communicated to us? How are we to know that we are commanded to repent and believe? Because God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. And anyone whose name is not found in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into hell. None of that is communicated as people watch us live a so-called good life. None of that. In fact, I'll say this gently, I think it's rather arrogant to think that you can live such a good life that people are just going to watch you and become converted. <laughs> you, you must have some special aura about you. I ain't got it. I got to open my mouth. No matter how nice you are, your niceness is not going to get the job done. I have a, a phrase, I don't know if I coined it, I heard it, I use it all the time. You cannot out-nice a Mormon. <laughs> Let's give them their props, right? You ever met a grumpy Mormon? I haven't. 
they are super nice. I'm thinking about moving to Utah. <laughs> you know, I mean, but the good news in that is this principle applies to them too. Their niceness will not convert anybody to Mormonism. Praise the Lord for that because it's a false gospel. And, but they do go out on their missionary journeys, as do Jehovah's Witnesses coming to your door. And you can argue, yeah, they're trying to earn their salvation. I, I understand that. That's a conversation for another day. But let's just look at their evangelistic zeal. Forget the motive, right? And frankly, it grieves me to, to witness what you know, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses are willing to do for a lie. And then by contrast, what Christians are unwilling to do for the truth. Man, let that bring conviction. Even people who claim no religious affiliation whatsoever, they do nice things. These are nice people. I know a lot of atheists that are way more friendly than I am. They're super nice. They can be kind. They donate to those in need. They, they, they give blood. They serve in soup kitchens. They, they dig wells. They do all of these things. We had, here's a little inside information for you. We had uh, an atheist serving in our food pantry. I put them in there. I've talked to them. I know all about them. We've had the conversation. They would come here to church because they would bring their grandmother here. And this person had to endure Pastor Mike, Pastor Ben, and me, and all of us singing songs to Jesus, and they did it for their grandma. And this, this woman is sweet as pie. And she's like, I feel like I ought to give back. Mike, what can I do? I'm like, you can dole out food in the food pantry. But if you come in to get food in the food pantry, and there she is, working alongside a born-again believer in Jesus, can you tell the difference? They're both handing you a sack of food. You don't know. They're, we got we to come off the atheists or, you know, blood-sucking, you know, people that are just, you know, like devil worshipers. No, they just... You know, they're, they're rebelling against God, but by worldly standards, very nice, very kind. So people need to not so much see good deeds as they need to hear good words. Need to hear good words. Now, our works, where do the works come in? Because I'm pro-works. Bible's pro-works, therefore I'm pro-works. They support the words, right? Because if you do just kind of speak all the time and you really don't have that foundation of good works or good deeds, the words can ring hollow, right? They can. But I would just like to point out to you that in Acts chapter 2, when Peter did get up and preach that sermon, I don't think he fed anybody beforehand. I, I'm, I'm not even sure he had a smile on his face. Again, he came hard at them. And look at the fruit it yielded. But the good works are good, they're good. They're the foundation. They undergird the message. They're not the message. They help the message. It's like, it's like peanut butter and jelly. They're, they're both good. They're better together, right? That's, that's words and works. Because if we're, if we're doing good works without good words, what will happen? People will just think well of us. They will. They may not necessarily think well of Jesus, though. And let, let, me, let me try to expose the smokescreen that this is, okay? Even if somebody says to a Christian, you know what, you are so nice, you're so kind, 
You're always given to, uh, given of yourself, given to other people. You're so selfless. How many Christians then respond with, oh, shucks. Just trying to do the right thing. They won't even give Jesus props then when it's delivered on a silver platter. How about, no, I'm not very nice. Jesus has made me nice. You should have met me before I, I met him. You should have known me then. He's made me nice. I was a real jerk before then. Let me tell you about who he is and what he does for not so nice people like me. Give him the props. Don't just shrug and try to be humble. Be humble and point him to Christ. See, on top of that, we might even be communicating the wrong message if we're only doing the good deeds. I, you might think I'm crazy, but I, I do think that this will happen. Because I, I work at a church, I'm the outreach guy, we'll go out into the community, and we try to marry together the deeds and the words, of course. But, you know, I, I think about the mind of the, the non-believer, okay? They see, let's see, a, a church group, because uh, they're all wearing, sh you know, shirts. They're picking up trash along the side of the road. I think, for some people, they look at that and they say, man, those people must have done some real dirt in their lives. Look at that, just having to just paying off their penance right there, you know, burning sins off so they spend less time in purgatory. Whatever people think, okay, they do think this stuff. And what do they say? I haven't done that many bad things. I'm not like them. Therefore, I don't need Jesus. But when you open up your mouth, you open up the law, you show them that they've lied, they've stolen, they've dishonored mom and dad, they've blasphemed, all those things now we're getting somewhere. The picking up on the trash on the side of the road is great. Again, it's incomplete. And you're not going to undo that wicked, strained theology that's just a bunch of knots. That can only be accomplished through explanation. Let's continue to beat this dead horse, huh? So, person who says, I don't have to go around talking about Jesus. I live the life. I just simply... Try to live like Jesus. Again, I think that is a very audacious claim, even if you insert the word try in there. But I would say you can't do that. And you say, well, Mike, what do you, you don't even know me. What do you mean you can't? No, logically you can't. You know why? Jesus was a preacher. If you're going to live like him, then you preach. Otherwise you're not living like him. It's a logical thing. When Jesus lived like Jesus, he opened his mouth. He came into the world. He spoke. He was proclaiming truth to the people who walked in darkness. He came to seek and to save the lost. And it wasn't by his exemplary behavior. If anybody could pull that off, it's him, right? We can't. So it's not so much what he did that got him in trouble. That's, that's true, partly. It's really about what he said claim to deity, calling people out on their sin, speaking. And so, if your desire is to live like Jesus, but you're always quiet about him, are you really living like Jesus? Again, I'm all for good works. They have their place. I'm saying, feed the hungry. Let's satisfy their stomachs. Let's, let's clothe the needy. Let's provide clothing to folks. We do those sort of things. But let's not forget about the one who can satisfy not just their stomachs, their soul. 
Let's clothe them. He does the clothing, but let's tell them about being clothed, not with a jacket that we hand to them, but in the righteousness of Christ, the very righteousness they will need on the day of judgment. It's a different kind of feeding and clothing. Like John Stott, what he said here, I thought he, we always got to maintain balance, okay? Because I'm, I'm, I'm saying it's both, all right? I want to hear, you know, sometimes people don't hear. Like, I got to say it, over-communicate. It's words and works. It's deeds and it's, and it's speaking, okay? It's both. And John Stott said something. I think he balances it well here. Let me quote him. He says, there will be times when a person's eternal destiny is the most urgent consideration. For we must not forget that men without Christ are perishing. Amen. But, but there will certainly be other times when a person's material need is so pressing that he would not be able to hear the gospel if we shared it with him. In the words of one missionary, a hungry man has no ears. If our enemy is hungry, our biblical mandate is not to evangelize him, but to feed him. Now, I'm not as eloquent as John Stott. I like to put it like this. I want to put food in their stomach so I can put Jesus in their ear. And I know what he said is so true. I see it every day. People come in here and they're about to be evicted. Power's about to be turned off. And they come through, we walk them through the, the compassion application process. And if I start, you know, hey, let me tell you about Jesus, that's not where they're at. <laughs> they're at like, I'm going to be on the street in a couple of days unless y'all help me. Okay? So what do we do? We, we work through the process, but always with a view to engage in conversation, to talk with them, to find out where they're at with the Lord, because that is what is most important. Having a roof over your head is very important, sure. You know, not losing power, but spending an eternity in hell in the long run is much worse, much worse. And I know this is a message we don't want to hear. I get it. It's evangelism. I know. All right, I've given my life to deal, you know, to kind of be a director of outreach and encourage people to evangelize. It's a very, it's a challenge, you know. I get it, and it's a challenge for me to do it. Uh, I like what Spurgeon said. Charles Spurgeon, he called evangelism a, an irksome task. Yeah, it is. Uh, Modern-day evangelist Ray Comfort, uh, he calls it a, uh, it's like getting a root canal. I've likened it to a colonoscopy. Okay, that's the realm we're in here. Okay, it ain't pretty. I know that. You're like, Mike, I'm not feeling it. I know. All right, you don't have to tell me. Okay, but may I ask you, do you not have to accomplish ir irksome tasks? If not, uh, you don't ever have to do an irksome task. I, I want to see you after the service, okay, because you figured out some key to life that I. I don't have. Your job, everything at your job is, is so fulfilling. Oh, it's just, oh. You know, no, sometimes you just got to do it, man. Right? The, the colonoscopy. I got, one, I got one looming in a couple years. I do. My mom keeps reminding me. I, I'll tell you a quick funny story. This is true. My 40th birthday, my mother, God bless your mom, if you're ever watching this, all right, I might send you a link. My mother, and she'll remember this, it was my 40th birthday, my phone rings, it's December 10th, I see mom on the phone, I'm like, hey ma, she goes, Michael, you're 10 years away from that colonoscopy. <laughs> True. I'm not going to stand up here and lie, all right? 
And she's like, hey, but you should get it sooner. Remember your grandmother? I mean, this is my mom's thing. <laughs> but you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Why? I need to do it. It's the right. Do I want to do it? No. Do you want to do stuff like that? I don't even know all it entails. I'm going to find out. I don't want to do it. <laughs> but you, you, you do things in life because it's the right thing to do. And we don't even have a Bible verse for it. Go, therefore, and get a colonoscopy. <laughs> Go, therefore, make disciples. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It, that's a command. It's a command from our Savior. What did he say? If you love me, you'll obey me. You'll obey me. There it is. Love is the answer. Love is the answer to all of this. It's love for God, love for his commands, love his law, and love for people who don't know him. Love is just the umbrella that just all this falls underneath. You know, and there's a, there's a growing trend out there today especially amongst uh, young people. Young people, we've probably got our venture crew in here. I'm looking at you guys. I think you're around. There you are. I uh, love our venture crew. Uh, but, and millennials get bagged on, man. They do. Um, I, I'm generation, what, X or something. They clowned me when I was coming up. But millennials, man, are really taking it. And, I, and I, sometimes it's not fair. But this, this right here... Um, Millennials say that evangelism, to try to convert somebody to Christianity, uh, many of professing Christian young people say that's wrong. It's unloving. It was Barna who did this survey. Uh, the, the title of it was, Almost Half of Practicing Christian Millennials Say Evangelism is Wrong. And when I quote this one citation, this is all you need to know right here. This is from the article. Sharing the gospel is much harder today because of an overall cultural resistance to conversations that highlight people's differences. I think that's true. Millennials are also more likely to believe that disagreement means judgment, and that is unloving. But I would argue, you know what's unloving? What's unloving is to have a friend, a family member, a coworker, someone you say you love, who's worshiping a false God, who will someday stand before the real God and be sent to a real hell. That's unloving. Or you don't believe what God has said in his word. It's at this point, I don't want Matthew 23, 4 hanging over my head. What's Matthew 23, 4? This is they, that's the Pharisees. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to basically lift a finger to help them. I don't want that true for me. Okay, I recognize this is hard. I get it. And I think there's three people groups here today. Group number one, you're doing this. You're actively looking for opportunities to share your faith verbally. And I would say, go for it. Keep it up. The Bible says, he who wins souls is wise. That's a very good thing to do. So let, hopefully this is an encouraging sermon to you. Group number two, you ain't feeling it. Uh, you, you checked out 20 minutes ago. You're not even listening now. I don't have much to say. They're not listening anyway. So, you know, uh, I don't have any, anything else to say that I haven't already said. Here's the group I want to focus on. Group three, 
you're here and you're like, I'm convicted. Through scripture, through logic, through reason, I'm deficient in this area. And, I, and I'm, I'm deficient right there with you. And you're saying, you know, I want to do this. I know it's a command. I want to go out there. I want to talk to people about Jesus, my friends, my family, my coworkers, my neighbors. But, I want to, but, I want to help you get rid of that but. Call me the male version of Jenny Craig, okay? I would like to offer some help to you. My wife thought the Jenny Craig line was funny, so that's why I left it in there. I said, is this over the top? And she's like, no, nah, go for it. Uh, so so um, here's, here's what, let me tell you what we offer here at Living Water. And let me remind you, or perhaps tell you for the first time, some things that will help you. All right, I'm willing to lift a finger. More than that. We have a library here at the church, okay? It's downstairs, free. Uh, there's, there's never a, a librarian down there. You just, whenever the building's open, you can go down there, find something on the shelf, write it in the book, take it with you. And if you never return it, I will never know because I never checked the book, Okay. <laughs> It is such an informal system. We just got to have some record of what's coming and going, okay? You can keep it for the rest of your life. Use the library, though. Kids, kids use the library. You guys are awesome. The kids section gets used. I, I, maybe we've got to keep telling people, you know, oh, you have a library. We have books on apologetics that's defending your faith. They'll help you answer some of those really challenging questions that you know are going to come. Uh, books on evangelism and, and missions. I brought a couple books up here. Uh, one's called One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven, okay? There's a few things you can't do in heaven. You know what one of them is? Share your faith. There's no one to witness to. They're all Christians. <laughs> so if you want to do it, you got to do it now. You only have so much time left, okay? There's that book, uh, Anyone But Me. That's probably what you're saying today. We've got a book here by Ray Comfort, 10 Ways to Overcome Your Fear and Be Prepared to Share the Gospel. These are helps. They're designed to help you. I hope you would take advantage of the library. And in that library, we have an outreach board. What's on that board? Various things, little New Testaments. There's DVDs on there, a lot of gospel tracts, which is just share the message of Jesus. Some are fun. I mailed one this week, a family member. I had to send them something. So I threw this one in there. It says, uh, test your brain power. It's kind of like these riddles. They're, they're supposed to be funny. I'll read them. You won't laugh. Uh, how, how can a man go eight days without sleep? He sleeps at night. Uh, how can you lift an elephant with one hand? It doesn't matter. You'll never find an elephant with one hand. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just dumb stuff. But inside this little pamphlet, here's another one, and this is not a trick question. How can you find everlasting life? I mailed that to somebody. It's en route to, to Syracuse, New York right now. The gospel is on its way to them. And I have these little fantasies in my mind that somebody will, would get that or, or we leave it in a restaurant or whatever. What do unbelievers say all the time? Like, oh, yeah, I wish I'd get a sign from God. There's a track. There's, there's your sign right there, you know? So I sent this to somebody who's golfing, and I said, hey, a little something for you to, uh, 
you know, go over with your buddies while out on the links, you know? And in my mind, this little fantasy I have, it's, it's a good fantasy, not like some of the fantasies I've had in my past. This is a good fantasy where they're sitting there and they're, you know, chuckling over these stupid little things. But then, like, well, what's, what is this all about? And he, and he shares that. And you don't know, can God use that? Yes, he can. And it's not even hard. I'm not even talking to the person. I just put a stamp on it and mailed it off. Do something. Do something. Uh, next thing that we offer is uh, we have a YouTube channel here. This is kind of new. I took my YouTube channel and kind of rebranded it. It's our outreach channel here. Uh, posted a couple of videos recently. That John Piper thing there. It's an old clip, classic clip. Titled it, Shoot Me Yes, Revile Me No. And I was accused earlier this week of using clickbait. I'm like, all right, I don't know. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? I don't know. I want you to watch the video. If using clickbait is wrong, I don't want to be right, okay? But, <laughs> but I want you to watch it, right? Aren't you intrigued? Shoot me, yes. Revile me, no. Like, what is he saying? Watch the clip. It's supposed to encourage you. And then the American Gospel is a, a video where you have unbelievers talking in there. The Gospel is in there. And you can watch it and just hit the share button and send it to somebody. Again, you're not even having the awkward conversations. Hey, I saw this video. This guy bongo at our church. He keeps telling me to do this. I'm sending this to you. I would like to know what you think. Get the conversation started. Speaking of American Gospel, we are going to show that full movie on Friday, April 8th. Uh, you can uh, kind of save the date there. It's a Friday night. We'll have some popcorn, invite a friend. You come. The gospel will be happening right here on these screens. Again, if you're not ready for the conversation, just say, hey, my church is having a free movie night. You want to go check it out? And then maybe that'll foster a dialogue afterwards. Every Saturday morning, we offer you the opportunity to share the gospel. Okay, we go downtown uh, every Saturday. What is that? The corner of State and Second Street. It's early, I know. 715 to 815. Right there on the left there is St. Patrick's Church. They put on a really nice breakfast and it draws about 70 to 80 people. So that's why we go there. We capitalize on the fact that people are gathered at that time. And we go down there and we take donations that you give and we hand them out to people, but always with a view for a conversation. We see the same people all the time. Jim, Keith, Stephanie. We're in relationship with them. Street evangelism, street preaching gets a bad rap. It's hit and run. You don't really care. No, we do care. That's why we get up early and go down there all winter long. Then I came back from yesterday, and over in the, the CRC, our vehicle repair ministry was going on. I had a chance to pray with those guys before they started. You know what my prayer was? As you guys are turning wrenches, you know, be looking for those opportunities to, to speak to the, the person who owns that car. You know what my prayer was? That car will someday be dust. It will. It's going to rust. It's going to rot. But the person who owns that car will live forever. And I give them carte blanche, man. Go ahead. Talk about Jesus all you want. If you're a car person, get involved. Love for you to do that. But going back to this right here, we do ask for those donations. And, and here's what I want to say, and I say it all the time. You guys are so 
generous. I am so grateful for the, the backpacks, the jackets, the hats, the gloves, the things that people give. Whatever we ask for, socks, you guys deliver. And, and praise the Lord for that, okay? But you know there's a but coming. I got my own but, all right? So here's my but. But I would love if somebody said to me, Mike, I got a closet full of jackets that I don't wear anymore. I'm not going to just give them to you to take down there. I'm going to go with you. And I'm going to hand them to people and just talk about how good God has been that I can have a closet full of jackets that I don't even wear and tell them about this good God that you know. Right? Go ahead. Yeah, Terry, Terry joins us. She, this resonates. Terry's down there regularly, you know, and so I want to invite you. I'm just not a guilt trip. I'm not, hopefully nobody's like, I'm just, you got to let people know this is what's going on, okay? Participate, please. Lastly, the E3 group, uh, you may have heard of this, stands for Equip, Engage, Evangelize. This is a small group. We get anywhere from five to 15 people that meet on a Saturday morning downstairs, and we talk all about this stuff. We share success stories, all our struggles. How do we overcome fear? How do we witness to our family? How do we uh, deal with the skeptic and their objections? It's just a wonderful time. And it's, you know, Tom Fox and I head that up. So you can get involved in that. Uh, I'm not hard to find. Just let me know. So all of this to say, you're not alone. You're not alone in this. We all need these helps, these resources, these tools, this encouragement, and these opportunities. Let me close with a story. This is uh, about a guy named Terry. Terry reached out to us, and he was trying to get to Johnstown. And uh, he, uh, I, I didn't know, I never met Terry. He, he Googled us or something. I don't know. He calls us up. And part of the vetting process is to just ask a ton of questions. And I'm really good at that. Like, I'm, a, I'm such a nuisance, right? I ask him, like, so who are you, Terry? Tell me your story, you know? Where are you from? Why are you trying to get to Johnstown? What's in Johnstown? Asking him all these questions. And so we're getting, what are we doing? We're building a little bit of a relationship. Just a little bit right? But I'm asking him these questions, and I'll spare you all the details. We, he passed, you know, it was, it was valid. I talked to the person on the other end in Jonestown. That was a more favorable situation for Terry. So, great. We're going to buy him a bus ticket to get there. It's going to be down at the will call. It's all done. It's all arranged. That could be the end of the thing. That's it. The conversation, you wanted to get to Jonestown, 60 bucks later, we got you there could be done at that point. But that's where I'm saying it's incomplete. It's a good work. He was very grateful. Very grateful for that. But Terry's greatest need, whether he knows it or not, is not to get to Johnstown. His greatest need is Jesus Christ. He may not know that, but I know that. And so I said, I said, hey, Terry, now that we're all done, got it all wrapped up, before I let you go, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I mean, what's he going to say? We just bought him a bus ticket, right? So I got, got a good, good in right there. I said, Terry, why do you think we did that for you? I'm just curious. He goes, well, uh, you're a church. You're, you're, you're Christians. You want to do what God wants you to do, right? And that's love people, be kind to them, and help them out. I don't disagree with that whatsoever, but I pressed them for, you know, further, okay? Told you I'm good at, at, at asking a lot of questions. I said, Terry, so 
uh, let me see if, I, if I'm understanding you correctly. Would you agree with this? That we do this nice thing for you because we want to be pleasing to God. We want to earn his favor. And somebody like me who, uh, you know, I take time out of my day to engage with you and work out all the logistics. Uh, I want to do this good deed because I've done a lot of bad things in my life. And I need to have the, the good I do outweigh the bad. Because if I do enough good in my life, by the time I, my time up here on this earth is, is over, hopefully I'll have done enough good so that God will accept me and I'll get to go to heaven and be with him forever. I said, would you agree with that, Terry? You know what his response was? Yes. Of course it was yes. This is the theology of many people. Yeah, I set him up. And I said, Terry, I said, you know, I, I, this is going to shock you. I said, but I disagree with that completely. I don't think, I, I set you up. That's not right. That's not why we're doing what we're doing. His, his theology, he, he heard the name Jesus. He owned a Bible. He sees churches on every corner, but his theology was not right. And a $60 bus ticket is not going to straighten it out. I had to explain it to him. And I was glad to do that. I told him the real motivation for doing this. But more importantly, I told him how he can be pleasing to God and enjoy eternity with him forever in heaven. I shared the gospel with him. And you know what he said afterwards? He said, I've never heard that before in my life. He goes, I never heard it put like that. Not that I'm some great evangelist. It was the word doing its work. And I think God blessed it. Because I didn't have to do this part. I, I, he, I satisfied his need, but he has a greater need. And he says, I, I just never, I never heard it put like that. And I think to myself, how many Christians has Terry interacted with and those people either, one, didn't care enough to have the conversation. Number two, thought that the good deed or just their smile was good enough. That, well, I'm a Christian and I was friendly to Terry. That's the, the gospel. Or, or you just, you, you assumed he, he already knew the gospel. By and large, people don't. They don't. Yeah, many do. But, you know, when people say America is gospel saturated, I disagree. I think America is gospel ignorant. And we need to undo these knots and straighten out people's wrong thinking, and it won't get done by buying a bus ticket. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words. They're necessary. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for our time here together. Lord, we all can agree upon this, that our world is straight busted. It's broken. It, it's not how it should be. It is a fallen world, and we're seeing that on a global scale, and we're, and we, but it trickles all the way down to our own backyards. And we're seeing sin do what sin does, which is run amok and, and lead us ultimately to death. But Lord, we have the words of life. You gave them to us. And not only that, you told us, you commanded us, go and tell. And I pray that we would do that somehow, some way that we would take a tract 
a piece of paper and with our tip in a restaurant, we would simply leave it on the table. And who knows what might happen with that? You can use that as that gets shared maybe in the, in the break room or in the kitchen. Lord, those things can happen. The question is, will, are we willing to do something so that we can at least get started? And then you will light that fire within us to cause us to go further and further and further. Give us more boldness and help us to be more zealous for you and the proclamation of your word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We encourage us today. And Lord, as we uh, collect this offering, I, I pray the same thing, that this would be used, yes, to do good things in our community, to do good things around the globe, but also to, that would foster opportunities for us to open our mouths and talk about you, to share your glorious message, the message of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray.